0: So, we started last week just a very brief series, last week and this week, called uh, Fields. Uh, It comes from uh, two statements of Jesus. First, Jesus says to his disciples that the fields are white with harvest. Uh, It means that there's uh, people ready to come into the kingdom of, of Jesus. He also said that the harvest is plentiful. That means at your work there are plenty of people who are ready to come into the kingdom of Jesus. At your school, there are an abundant amount of people ready to come into the kingdom. On your street, the harvest is plentiful. So there's no problem with the harvest. Jesus said there is a problem, though, and it's with the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's what Jesus said. Uh, So we're trying to correct that problem here at Bayou City. That the workers would not be few among us. And God has given you a field to harvest. It could be your work. It could be uh, your family. It could be on your street. It could be around the world. He has given you some responsibility, some harvest responsibility. And so uh, last week we opened to the book of Matthew. I'd love for you to open with me this morning to to there. Uh, We'll we'll just review Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works... And give glory to your Father in heaven. So we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are a city situated on a hill. We are a lamp on a lampstand. We are to let our light shine through our good works. And when that happens, people will give glory to our Father in heaven. So we shine through our good works. We shine. People will see. And God saves. We're a city on a hill. Uh, So I thought it would be helpful in this series if you heard from somebody who lives and works in the real world. Uh, I love when people come and they say, uh, you know, what was the last real job that you had? So before being a pastor, you know, that doesn't count. What was your... Your real job. And in a lot of ways, it doesn't count because you would just assume that everywhere I go, I go fully turned up, light shining everywhere I go all day long. All I ever have to do is think about Jesus and Jesus is awesome and Jesus is awesome. And I'd wake up in the morning and that's how I'd go to sleep. All my thoughts during the day because I don't live in the real world because I'm a pastor. But you do live in the real world and you've got to go to a real job and you've got to go to real baseball games and basketball games and you have a real life. And so... Uh, Since I don't, um, I thought we could hear from somebody who does. And so this is my good friend, uh, Brian Merrill. Uh, Brian is one of the elders here at Bayou City Fellowship. And more than that, he is an incredible human being. And when I think about uh, someone who is a city on a hill, um, I think of Brian. Because with uh, Brian, there's no distinction between when... Uh, he's in a room of faith and when he's in a room of work and when he's in a room of family and when he's in a room of fun. You know, a lot of us have built walls to divide those sections of our life. And so the you that came to church this morning, you are in your room of faith. But pretty soon, hopefully sooner than later, I'm assuming, uh, you will step out of this room of faith and you will step into a room of family. And you'll go to lunch with your family or you'll go with your family to your home. And, uh, and then you'll step out of your family room and you'll send your kids upstairs and you will lay down on the couch or you will lay down in the bed. And that's the room of your own fun and your own uh, enjoyment. And then on Tuesday, you will step back into the room of work. But all these different parts of our lives are divided. But when you read the scripture, the Bible doesn't tell us that that's the way it should be. We just do that naturally. The you that shows up at, the, at work is the you that should be here at church, is the you that should be spending time with your family or your friends or alone. Today, there should be no distinction. You are city on a hill at all times, not just when you are in a room of faith. And Brian is like that, and he's an awesome uh, guy. So uh, Brian, tell us when, where, uh, how you were born. Uh, give us your life story in 30 seconds.
1: Great setup. Uh, yeah, I was born in, in 1975 in Dallas, Texas, and uh, born to Linda and Leonard Merrill, and uh, I was the first born. We lived in Garland in, uh, in Dallas for a few years through fourth grade, moved to Sulphur Springs, and then moved to what I consider my hometown, which is Texas City, Texas. I graduated from Texas City. Parents no longer live there. They live down the road in Hockley a little bit, but uh, if you ever ask me where I'm from, I'll either say Telephone, or Telephone Texas, which is where my grandmother's... That's a real uh, place? It's a real place, Monkstown, Texas, but really, I'll say Texas City, and um, you know, Texas City. Curtis likes to make fun because I'm gonna to try to steal his thunder. So, uh, it, it's we're the Stingarees, and that is a very menacing animal. I want to be very clear right now this morning, if nothing else.
0: It sounds like something C.S. Lewis made up. You know, a a Stingaree. So we like, were
1: literally the Texas City Stingarees was our name, and uh, we were orange and black, which is really, I mean, of all the colors that just elicits fear when you step feared. onto the field orange and black and halloween orange on top of that so, so
0: a stingery is a stingray but with some flare is that
1: we've never no we've been no flare involved but i guess if that's what an outsider wants to do but uh you know i don't know we take it really personally i just want to be very clear you've been to the texas city mall some of you've been to the texas city mall we represent i just want to be very clear uh so
0: Stingery's you want to be very- all the way all right man he's pushing i we be real honest I was a Willard Tiger. That's, uh, everybody can wrap their mind around that. That's a real mascot. <laughs> but tell us where you went to college because your college makes up for all of the weaknesses of your uh, high school experience.
1: Texas City was not weak. I, okay, mean, I don't yeah, want to I'm spend not, 30 minutes talking right, about right. how great yeah. Texas City
0: was. And tell us where you went to school. I went let's to, get I it went to all Texas
1: A&M is. University, so Ooh, there you go. Yeah. There we go. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, went there. <laughs> You're a little more bold in, in this service than he was Amanda's last here, service. So last service, he was, like a he, was, he was like, nah, now, him. now he's like pro A&M. Yeah, I
0: love it. Uh, and uh, A&M, that's where you met your wife?
1: It is where I met, met my wife. So she's from Dripping Springs. We were in tennis class. And so uh, we came on day one. I didn't share this, but I was like, man, uh, I saw her like, as soon as she walked in. I was like, she's really pretty. And so I sat down next to her. So then literally, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at tennis, um, We'll argue about who won. I say I won, she says she won. Uh, but I really, that whole class, those classes, afterwards, it was like trying to get a date. And uh, I was highly unsuccessful in getting a date in that season. But God in his infinite wisdom brought us back together uh, the last Sunday of a few years later, year and a half later, of a fall semester. And uh, when you were late to church, the church we attended, uh, Central Baptist, they set you in a certain location because they filmed it. And so they sat us in a, in a location and uh, they sat her on a row and, and sat, sat her on, our, on my row. And so uh, I was like, hey, you know, uh, it's good to see you. I hadn't seen you in a long time. I was like, hey, how about, how about lunch? And she said, well, that'd be great. How about today? And, and me and my roommate will go or whatever. And I was with my roommate and I was like, that's not what I had in mind at all, uh, at all. And so I turned to my roommate and I'm like, man, you're not going. Uh, there's no way you're going. And he's like, I mean, so literally he did not have a car. Uh, He he had no way of, I was like, I don't care. You're, you're, you're not going. And so, uh, I'm like, you don't understand. Like a year and a half ago, I tried to get a date. Uh, you know, I was probably really weird about it, but it didn't happen. And so then God orchestrated this uh, event. And, and, uh, and so I knew that if he didn't go, probably her roommate wouldn't go. And then it would just be a date. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. And, uh, and so it worked out that way. And, um, We ended up, like, setting a date uh, in, like, a couple of days. Uh, I had finals. She was done. We ended up calling one another afterwards and said, well, how about tonight? And so we we went to Barnes & Noble. And uh, at Barnes & Noble, there in College Station, we we went and got coffee. And I picked up a book, the If Book. And maybe some of y'all have seen it. It says If, and it's a whole bunch of questions in it. And I picked it up thinking that if we don't have anything to talk about, I don't want this to get awkward. Right? And so I picked it up, and we went and sat down, and we never opened. And uh, as we left a couple of hours later, I put it in the, the on the bottom of the stack because I knew I was going to come back and get it, uh, because I knew that um, I shared last time I outpunted for those you know football I outpunted my coverage and I've been scrambling ever since trying to trying to make it because she uh, she was uh, well outside my range. That's awesome.
0: Uh, you are a high school principal. A very young, gifted, talented high school principal. How did you get into that profession?
1: Well, it didn't start that way. I went to college and wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. And, um, and so I, uh, I kind of went that path. And I started doing some, literally some uh, research. So I was uh, in, a, in a lab and, and did that for a while and, and really um, had great blessing in that. But um, just didn't feel like that was my calling. I looked at that profession and, and what was in store for me and I just didn't want that life, and so through a series of conversations, it had always been the family business. My dad is an educator. My mom is an educator. My grandparents are educators. Go down the line. Chris's families are are educators, and so in that moment, it just made sense that when I looked at my life and what I really enjoyed, I love science, which I eventually became a science teacher, but I really love people, and so because of that, I love my lab, but I knew that wasn't going to be that way forever. I just liked the people I was with. I was like, I don't you know, when I looked at what they did, they wrote. And for those of you that know me, I'm a terrible writer. And uh, Chris is laughing because literally I'm a terrible writer. And I was like, "There's no way I'll be able to." You know, I won't be able to feed my family on any kind of. If I have to write, it's not going to be successful. So uh, I, I sat, literally sat down with my professor and I told him on the steps of the of the lab, "Like, hey, Dr. Fernell, I don't I don't want to do this anymore." And, and he was a Jewish man. We had great uh, conversations of faith. Uh, I was a 20 year old student, 19 year old student when I started. And, and I'd worked there for three years. We had just a rich relationship, even though he was, you know, by far my elder. And, um, and, and really, he was, you know, I love you, and I understand, and I want the best for you, and, and whatever that looked like. And so I remember calling my mom and dad and saying, hey, I'm, I'm kind of in this major. I wouldn't lose anything, but I, I think I want to be a teacher. And so that's kind of how I got into it.
0: That's cool. Uh, tell us about uh, your uh, faith. Did you grow up? In church Has that always been a part of your story?
1: It has, been, it has always been part of my story. Um, my, my mom and dad are both believers. My grandparents are believers. I was blessed to marry into a, a family that believes as well. And so not only are my mom and dad incredible people, uh, they're truly uh, magnificent, but so are Krista's mom and dad. And so truly just a blessing to have that. And I pray that y'all do, you all do as well. And so definitely, I can remember going to Monkstown, Texas and being in the Baptist church and, and being on the front row. My grandma played the piano. And uh, she was also the bookkeeper, and uh, I remember that growing up and and being in that that setting, and then uh, transferring to Sulphur Springs and uh, Dr. Redmond. And someone came up last service and said, "I know Dr. Redmond; Uh, he's in Pasadena. He he baptized me." I remember him coming to my home, and tell I remember telling my mom and having that conversation with her, and us having it in the car, and about that I've I accepted Christ, and you know I believe in Him, and, and everything that that meant. And Dr. Redmond coming to our house and kind of drawing out like this is sin in your heart. He drew it, and, and us having that conversation, and I can remember uh, just what a big deal it was to go get baptized, and and then they brought you down to the front after you are baptized, and you got to shake hands, right? And so we did that, and there was just a, a confidence that came with it. And uh, that confidence stayed, uh, it, and it came, uh, you know, God has a way of, of introducing you to new things, and so when I went to college, it really had to become my own faith. It was the first time ever that I was out from underneath, you know, my parents uh, in, in that, that that shadow was big because they were in education. I was with my dad all the time. My poor children, who we'll talk about in a minute, um, they're never apart from me. I don't know how it is, how they manage to make it. They're literally at school with me, and then we come home in the car, and they're at home with me. We go to sleep together. So like 24 hours a day, they're with me. Now it wasn't that bad with my dad. Uh, he wasn't there all the time, but uh, and so you know that's that's how I became. And, and brothers under Christ was critical. So those high school students that are graduating, those that are going to college, I would take just a second to to really. Uh, really challenge you to surround yourself with godly people. Like, like, that made such a difference in my life. And so really putting those people around you and investing your time and energy in those things. So for me, it was church. I found a church. It, it took a couple of times for me to find it. It was awkward at first. It's going to be awkward at first because people have come and they kind of know where you're going and it's a new place. But keep showing up. Don't, don't forsake for, uh, meeting together. And then uh, find people that... that um, like you do and so for me it was brothers under Christ and uh, I met such uh, godly men there that just challenged me and uh, encouraged me in my faith and so in that moment in those moments it really my faith became uh, just something different but, but
0: stronger that's cool uh, tell us about your kiddos
1: yeah I, we we have seven kids and so I, I've got a picture up here if I could before we show the picture I want the newborn to show up he's not in the picture so the newborn's over here to my right so get a good look at the newborn that's our newborn <laughs> Yeah. So he's so newly born that he could not be in the picture. That's how fresh. That's how just straight from the hospital he is. Um. Yeah. He, he may leave in a minute. He's on a strict feeding schedule, so he may he may leave. Uh, he all three of them, them may every leave every
0: couple of hours. Yeah. He's just. I mean,
1: you know, he's about to take a nap. I don't know. So uh, anyway, I love you, Kiwan. Uh This is our family, and, and so that's Desmond in the middle. With the, with the dark shirt on, black shirt on. he uh, He's uh, in South Korea. He's in the Army. And uh, and then to my right is Caleb. He's an eighth, going into ninth grader. Then Dominique, who is a sophomore in college at Texas A&M uh, Commerce. And then, I know, that's a big deal. He made it through his first year and played football, y'all. So that's, I'm really proud of him, yeah. And then Noah is a sixth grader, going into seventh grade. Unbelievable kid. Ellie is uh, from Guatemala, adopted. Amazing little girl. And then Rory is down there. And so one of the things I said last time is, uh, one of the things that I, I, I hope that we kind of walk away with is they're all mine. So just like for those of you that haven't experienced adoption, they're all mine. So don't ever just in your language, don't ever say which ones are yours. They're all mine. I'm never going to give one of them away. You're never going to get one of them as cool as they are, but there are adopted and there are biological and, and they're all mine. They're all my children, but they definitely come from different parents now, we forget which ones are from, from which ones, believe it or not. And you would say, how in the world do you do that? And it's very difficult at times to remember that, but we do know. But they're definitely biological, and they're adopted kids, but and they're all mine.
0: Kiwan, you adopted him officially last fall. That's why we're joking that he's a newborn. His
1: yeah. he's, he's, last name is a Bray, soon to become a Merrill, and, uh, and so we're waiting on the courts, that six-month process, to kind of work its way out.
0: That's so. good. Uh, tell us how, you, uh, how that adoption stuff became a part of your story.
1: Well, I mentioned that Ellie's from Guatemala, so we had Caleb and Noah first. They're our biological children, and uh, we had them, and we, that first time that I told you we went to Barnes & Noble and I grabbed that book, that two hours, two plus hours, we sat there. One of the topics of conversation was adoption. So before we really knew a whole lot about one another, it was just kind of an ongoing thing. and we always knew that in the back of our minds we would add to our family through adoption, but we didn't know when that would be. And so we had Caleb, had Noah. It was just wonderful. We felt this, this uh, desire to, to add to our family. And we knew that uh, it wasn't going to be through, uh, you know, through biology. So we went out and looked and, and thought that we would do it through uh, international adoption. And uh, we did it in Guatemala. And so I can remember accepting Ellie's referral on day one. And uh, I was at Schultz Junior High. When we had that call, when Krista called and said uh, that you know, we've been given this referral, do we want it? And it was such a, it, was such a, it became real. Like we had worked on it, we would prayed about it, the boys were involved with it, but it became very real. And uh, I can remember weeping down the second hallway, uh, right down the AB classroom, kind of where that was, and just weeping uh, because it became so real for me that, hey, we're gonna get this little girl. And am I, you know, what are we doing? you know, and, and you'd had that before if you've ever had children, but we had never experienced it. That wasn't part of our story growing up. We didn't have anybody that was adopted in our family, but we, we knew that it was a part of ours. And the boys had prayed for it for so long. And uh, our fear was that they would think God didn't answer prayers if Ellie or you mm-hmm. know, didn't come, and she did. And we got to get her on her first birthday. Uh, we went and picked her up. Chris had always prayed that. We got to have a birthday party in McDonald's with a cake. They had a uh, some kind of bakery there, and you know, she shoved it in her face, so it was amazing for us to get to experience that and, and uh, for her to come home, and then began the, the path of, of, the, uh, of the other adoptions, and we were serving in another church, and I didn't share this last time, but God really calls us to be with widows and orphans, right? He doesn't, he, he says, so you should. I mean, I, I'm, I'm here today to tell you should. If you're not, you should be, and, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means, I think, but everybody should. And so we started going to Boys and Girls Country, and we were serving there. And many of y'all were there, and you experienced this, and you were uh, first hand accountants of what went on. And, and I was their principal. And so uh, I can remember meeting Desmond as his principal in fifth grade, and uh, in, in that uh, relationship. And Krista, even, we were at the ropes course, and we were doing that. And Desmond came, and we just thought, what an incredible kid he is, and, and what an amazing young man he is. And we didn't really understand Boys and Girls Country. We just knew his van came and picked him up, and then it left. And, and so we started, we started going, that's funny to my, my children. Mm. <laughs> Dominique. Inside joke. Inside joke. Yeah. Uh, they don't like the it band. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> not awkward at all. Uh, and so we started bringing them to our home and through that, God just literally would not leave us alone. Mm. And so we asked Caleb to pray about it. He was our oldest, obviously our, he's still our oldest ado- uh, biological child. See, I even do it there. Our oldest uh, biological child. We asked him to pray about it. He was a young man at that point, And we asked him we didn't tell him, like, hey, this is not your decision, but you're a part of this, you know, you, and we need you, to, we want your insight into this, we want your wisdom as a young man, and so he took time, and there were a lot of questions that came out of that, you know, I won't be the oldest, no, you won't be the oldest anymore, you'll be the oldest biological, but you won't be the oldest adopted, and so, you know, he just went through that questioning, and, and a week later, we asked other people, uh, some of which are in the room, to pray over that, and think about it, and to speak that into our lives, and It just came back that it was a blatant yes, and we could not deny that. And Caleb came back, and it was a blatant yes. And so we began the progressive adoption of the Braves, Merrills, and our families just intertwined. And I I, I didn't say this last time. I wish I had. There's a lot of things I wish I said last time. But I cannot imagine our family, our biological family, without our adopted children. I just can't. I can't imagine my life without our our adopted kids. The same way that you couldn't imagine your life without your biological, I couldn't imagine our life without both of those. And I I, uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. And, uh, and so, um, for those of you that are considering it, man, run. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have a clear path, but you never do. But, but run forward. And, and there's going to be fear associated with that, and we'll talk a minute about that, but that should never be a part of the conversation. Um, it really shouldn't. And, uh, and, like, I can say uh, un- undoubtedly that we are better because Ellie is in our family and the Brays are in our family, and our biological children are better because of that as well.
0: That's awesome. So you are a public school, high school principal, and um, it seems like Christians sometimes have a complicated relationship with the public school system. If the school in the neighborhood is great, then love the public school system. If uh, it's not, then we view it a little bit different, and then there's all kinds of gray area in between so I'm not sure how I would summarize what the church's relationship with the public school is, should be. But from your vantage point as both a Christian and as a public school administrator, what, are your, what do you see from your angle that maybe we don't see?
1: Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I want to be completely, I am being completely honest, but one of the things that I said to Krista that uh, she's like, you have to share that. I am more comfortable sharing my faith in school than I was today talking about education, if I'm being honest, and that's not a reflection of you at all, but that tension that you talk about exists, and there's a judgment that comes with that, like where you decide to send your kids, and, um, and, and we are a unique example of kind of everything, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but as I prepared for it, I am very comfortable sharing my faith. I have shared my faith in the school. I share it, I mean, I wouldn't say daily, but almost daily. They know where I, where I stand, and there are students in the last service, there are students here. I've baptized three students uh, through church, so inevitably they know where I stand, and I don't stand up and say like, "Hey, the, you know the blood of Jesus, I'm not necessarily able to do that." but there are things and there's ways of conducting your life that people have a clear understanding of who you are and where you believe. and the educators in the room uh, understand that. and those of you that work maybe in a, in a place where that is not as uh, open as, as you would want it to be, you know that that opportunity exists as well and so you know, I, don't, I think that there's a huge parallel between uh, this idea of fields and the idea of, of the school being a field. I mean, the, the kids are in rows, and so are, are crops. And so, you know, those are a, a great example. And, and if I could, we're going to challenge you in so many ways. I, I hope to challenge you in so many ways today. But one of which is um, every day between the hours of about 7 and 3 or 4 o'clock, man, the unchurched come together. And it's diverse. And there's nowhere on the planet that you have a more diverse population and a combination of believers and unbelievers on any given day, not even Sunday morning. And there's such an opportunity there. So the educators in the room understand that. You understand that as well as parents. And hopefully I'm going to challenge the educators in the room and, and you as well that aren't in, in education. But that is such an opportunity that uh, we have, it, it, to, you know, Tuesday, 7 o'clock. They're going to show up. And, uh, and, and uh, we have a responsibility with that. So that tension exists. For us, we have seven kids. I've shared that. You've met some of them. Some of you know that already. But uh, we, we don't, not all of our students have all been publicly educated. They all have had some time in public education, but they all have not served exclusively in public education. Uh, we have, we have uh, some that have been in a classical Christian school setting, and it's been such a blessing uh, for them. We've had another that's been homeschooled. So we, even though I'm a public administrator, I believe in that with all my heart. And I believe that we have a responsibility as a nation and as a body of believers with that. Um, we have made that decision. We did not make it out of fear. And I said that earlier, and I want to be really clear. I think it's important, and sometimes people make decisions not to send their kids to public school based out of fear. And we as Christians should not be afraid. Over 30 times in Scripture, it tells us not to be afraid. And it tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's a fine line. And so there's no judgment. Please understand. I think I have a, a platform to be able to tell you there is no judgment with where you send your kids. I have decided, we have decided that we we have made the decision not all of our kids would go to public school some of them would would kind of dip in and out and we made it fit but we looked at the kids and we involved them in that educational process and we had open conversations with them about that so that there would be engagement and they would understand and and that's as much as it's appropriate sometimes it only can go so far and then as parents we have to make that decision so um, that's what i would say and as far as adoption and uh, our adoption through our 3 Uh, three guys through the schools I would say that that connection can exist for you as well and we'll talk a little bit about that
0: that's cool Um, what uh, as you're in and out with your students you talk about them kind of knowing where your background is and your faith is and seems like your role creates some pretty amazing opportunities for conversations what Of the the good works that Jesus talks about, what which of those seem to resonate the most with your students?
1: So as like we we obviously had a like a list of questions, so I prepared for the what we were prepared. This is scripted, right? I thought about it. Hopefully, you can tell I've thought about it and written it down quite a bit. Um, hopefully, right? So one of the things that kept coming back as I looked at these questions were three things. And so as a former teacher, I did teach biology. As a former teacher, we're going to do a couple things. So number one is be present. So get a pen out. You're going to have to take some notes today. It won't be a lot. I going to give
0: you a quiz at the end. I will give you so a quiz.
1: But I'm giving you the questions and the answers right now. So if you've got a phone, get it out. Because the questions that I'm going to answer, I think uh, the, the principles that we're going to talk about and will be overarching. Number one, be present. So what was number one?
0: Be present. Be present.
1: Number two is be intentional. What was number two? Be intentional. Be intentional. Number three is be spirit led. What's number three? Be spirit be led. So I think those three things, and that's a callback, good educators in the room know what we're doing right now, but um, in not great wait time, right guys, but a little bit decent. So hopefully you will remember those three things. Be present, be intentional, and be spirit led. And if you can take those and as a body of believers, we're going to make a real difference whether your kids go to public school or private or whether they're not you don't even have kids in school. So uh, the question. So the, uh, the other thing was relationships. I mean, grounded in all of that is a strong relationship. And having those relationships with those kids, man, you can make such a difference. And uh, they know if you're present. And so I didn't get to say this uh, last time because I didn't think about it, but one of the things that I say uh, to my kids all the time when I'm in front of them, and they, they hear this whether there's 400 in the room or 700 in the room or 1,900, which is what I'm responsible for uh, at my school, is uh, they're going to know a couple things. They're going to know that they're loved, and I say, I love you. So they're going to hear from, from wherever I stand, I, I love you. We love you. And uh, I think that's critical because sometimes maybe in their homes they don't hear that. And, uh, and it's an appropriate love, no question, but they're going to hear that they're loved. And for that to have a, 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 a meaning, my, my prayer is that that really lands, and it lands with some authority. I got to know them, right? I got to know who they are. I got to be present. It has to be intentional at time. And I've got to get to know everybody and what they value, I value, and what's important to them is important to me. Whether it's, you know, my thing in high school and whether it wasn't my thing in high school, it has to be important. And when you do that, that relationship's a strength. So I tell them I love them. I tell them that they're not not a mistake and they're not an accident. I tell them that all the time and that they were created for significance. And that it's our job to help them uncover that and help them grow that. And I say that almost every time I'm around them those that are students in here that i have I've been their principal or their teacher know that that's kind of evolved, but I tell them I love them, and uh, they always hear that, and uh, and so they hear that quite often.
0: That's cool. Uh, how do you think churches can come alongside school districts? There's probably not a more influential organization in Cyprus than the Cypress School District, and obviously you're in Waller. There's not a more influential organization in Waller than the Waller School District, so it seems irresponsible of us to ignore um, the most influential organizations in our community. How can we come alongside school districts and be the light of the world that Jesus is talking about?
1: Well, I, I really do appreciate that. So I, I thank you very much for allowing me to answer that question because as as a principal, I've, I've never turned away anyone that's come to the door as as a believer and said, hey, I either want a mentor, I want to serve, or can I come as the youth pastors Has come, they come and eat lunch. And so I would give a couple of real specific areas. I would still say it's framed under be present, be intentional, and be spirit led, right? So pray about it, be present in their lives, and be, be intentional with that. And if you'll ground yourself in those three things, I think as you start to ask yourself, how, how, am, I, how, do, how am I around the fatherless? Because I can tell you on Tuesday, I could point out the fatherless. I mean, no question. I mean, I can, I can point them out. I can point out a bunch of them. I can point out ones that, that are motherless. I can point out the ones that, um, and so there is a need. So scripture tells us that we're supposed to be with, with those guys. You know, I don't necessarily have widows. I might have a few if I, th- if I thought about it, but I definitely have the fatherless. And so a couple of, of areas. Uh, number one, you could be an individual mentor. Every school district has some kind of mentor program. And if you, if you are close to a school or your work is close to a school, go and knock on the door and say, look, how do I mentor a kid? And I just want to give back. I want to show up. I want to teach them academically. And they inevitably throw softballs. They, and what I mean by a softball is they give you a question. They'll ask a question. They'll ask about you. They'll ask about your faith. They always do. They always do. I, I just have to pray that I'm open to that and that I'm receptive to it. And when that happens, it happens almost on a daily basis. Like, it's inevitable that they are questioning, that they are asking, that they understand. And when you stand up and say, God doesn't make mistakes, and I believe that you're not an accident, and he has great things for you. Like, and I say that, they, they understand. And so, individual mentors, organizational mentors. So, FCA, Young Life, there are organizations that exist on your kids' campuses or on a campus that you're near that you can pour into. And I'm telling you, when you step into FCA, you can be as vocal as you want. I've, I've texted Curtis that I'm standing in the hallway of my campus, and I am hearing the proclamation of Jesus' name down the halls because they are singing that out to whoever will listen and whoever will show up, and, and they don't care. I've got two young men that will bring their guitars, and they play every Friday, and they're sitting out, and, and they're praying around the pole every Thursday, and, and they are pouring into their schools because they want to be the light. of of the world to that campus and so you can be very outspoken in those organizations because that's how it's founded and other people are very so the freedom that exists that protects other people protects us as well right and so god forbid this country were to ever change where it was maybe against the law to be outspoken about our faith the great thing about what exists in the public schools is it's protected Right, So that is protected. We do have that. And you say, well, you can't stand up. Absolutely, we can't. But we can when the organizations meet. We can when those clubs meet. We can. And they do. They're very vibrant. They're very active. And uh, we have one on this campus that has a, a very active footprint. The second, third one is personal crisis. We have kids that go through personal crises. on a, I mean, they just go through them. And when churches step up and say, no matter what the cost, uh, I want to step into that. And Bayou City Fellowship has done that for Waller High School. They did that literally from the first Sunday. And I failed to mention that, but the very first Sunday that we were in operation, Curtis took half of the uh, of the, the tithe that day and gave it to us. He gave it to the high school, and I, I just thought of that. There it, was a t-
0: fire. There was some. The fires. Yeah, there were fires. Uh, mm-hmm. The wildfires. Uh, Five, almost five years ago. Yeah.
1: And so literally you, you from the onset of, of this church, he gave half of it and stood up. And before we had
0: anyone on staff. Before we had any money. So before we had was, any that money. That's why it was an easy commitment. I mean, commitment. before
1: we ever knew what was going to come half in. Half
0: of and zero is not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't half it a wasn't, zero. It no, it was not.
0: And people stepped up. They did
1: step up. So. And we put that to great use. And, and people knew where it came from. Because I got to say, this is on behalf of, and I'm going to cry
0: don't cry, dude, because then we'll all start crying, yeah. and there'll be a whole thing.
1: Uh, I'd forgotten that story. Man. Uh,
0: this is a good interview, then. Yeah. See what it's I like did Barbara there.
1: Walters or whatever, you know? Uh, uh, you're Barbara Walters. <laughs> uh, so me crying, you're Barbara Walters, which is That's worse.
0: Right. worse. Um, uh, 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 well, uh, we'll move on. um you are uh, young. I mean, I don't know if people appreciate it, but you're very young to be a principal of, uh, of a school that size and a school district that size, and, and you do everything that you do with a lot of excellence, and you're always seeking to learn and do and be the best that you can be. What role do you think that uh, effort for excellence plays in us being the light of the world?
1: I do appreciate that, and I would say that any excellence I have is... It's predicated on the individuals that I work with and um, on the shoulders of the giants that came before me. And so the, the educators that I'm blessed to work with are inspirations on a daily basis. And so that excellence that exists is uh, critical, and you've mentioned it. And uh, so I think one of the things that I want you to leave with are the three things. So number one, be present. Number two, be intentional. And then the third one was be spirit-led. And then I want you to remember that because you have application in your, in your work. It's uh, scripture is full of examples where they were given jobs or responsibilities or roles that they really did not want. I I feel confident that no one ever wanted to be sold into slavery, but yet they were and they lived out God's calling in their life. And so no matter how bad your job is, no matter whether it's your calling or it's the greatest job in the world, we need to give it over to the Lord and do it to the best of our ability. And so you should. I should. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you that while I'm reminding myself of that. Uh, to be, I mean, just flat out honest, because there are days that you want to walk away from this, because it's incredibly difficult, and so living your life with excellence, and as educators, uh, we have a, a double burden, a, du- a double helping, because uh, we get the single greatest resource, and the field that is there in front of us, in those rows, if we don't do a good job of of, of tending that, and, and growing that, then there will be no nourishment for this, this country afterwards, we'll be, we'll be desolate, we'll be dry, there won't be any harvest, there won't be anything, and so we all know that and accept that, and so, uh, you know, I, I get called coach a lot and other things, Doc, and, and whatever else. But um, I would challenge you today that if if uh, if you have a kid in public school, then then lean into those three things. If you don't have a kid at all, or if you don't have a kid in public school, please lean into those three things because I don't think anybody in the room would deny that that is definitely a field. As are the public, the private schools, and the homeschools. Definitely, definitely fields. Um, but we have a lot of unchurched people. And I don't think there's a higher percentage of unchurched people that do not know the Lord, have never heard His name, do not know about what He did on the cross and the resurrection. They don't know anything about that. And every day they're showing up. And every day they're coming. Because this country believes so much in it that we require it. And you want to talk about one of the strengths and what is literally the international reputation is that really there's no other country that does what we do. We say everyone's got to come to school, and we're going to invest in it because we believe that all men are created equal, and we're going to protect it. And so um, that's a huge responsibility, and Scripture tells the educators in the room, and so I'm going to ask you all to stand up in just a second, but the educators in the room, we have a double helping because Scripture is very clear that it's better for us to put a millstone on our neck than to educate those, and so we have a responsibility. And we don't take that lightly. And so if I could, if I could do this, we did it well, last. Well, hey, hold
0: on just a second. Let me ask you one more question, sure. and then we'll recognize uh, the teachers uh, along with you. And uh, how can we, and this would be the last question, how can we um, pray for those of, in our family who are educators, for uh, teachers that are teaching in our neighborhoods and uh, our neighbors? What's the best two or three things that we can pray uh, for our educators?
1: And, and one of the things, so how to be a light, I think, is, is one of the questions that you ask to education, and how do, how do you. So number one, um, don't abandon us, and we are under attack. So we are under attack in so many ways, and I'm not going to, you know, it, this is not the proper place to kind of talk talk about that, but all you need to find when the educators stand up, if you really doubt that we are under attack, specifically in public education, and I'm sure you are as well, but my vantage point just allows, us to, allows me to understand that perspective a little different. I've been in private school and I've been in, in homeschool, but I do understand the public school sector a little better than the other two, um, that we are under attack. And I get very concerned not only about the state of, of public education, and we are a slow-moving animal, and we have a lot of weaknesses, no question. We don't control our own destiny. We don't advocate for ourselves. There's a lot of things as educators that we, we need to do better. But I, can, I feel confident that as the public schools start to dwindle, and as that support starts to dwindle, and as the light starts to leave the schools, as a nation, we're going to be a very dark place. And, and, and if you don't believe me, I promise, just grab an educator and talk to them about it. And please understand, there's people here that are going to leave and say, well, he's judging me. I am not judging you. I think God allowed me to, to, number one, have this platform, so thank you. But number two, to have the experience of having those other educational experiences, so there's no judgment with where you send your kid. But if you don't send your kid to schools, and if you don't, have, and you need to invest in the schools, like it, it, there are people that you should serve it like a mission field. You're going to drive by, and the field is ripe. You don't have to travel anywhere really to go. You don't have to go to a foreign country. You don't have to go anywhere else. You just have to go and knock on the door and decide to commit. And if you decide to do that, I can show you so many kids that are just, they want someone. They're, they're desperate for someone, and they want someone to to step into that father father role. I can't tell you, and you've been around, how many kids call me dad. Um, I have those that I've adopted, and I also have those that call me dad that uh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not, I haven't formally adopted them, but but I am I am uh, their father figure, and uh, we don't take that lightly, and the educators in the room, they have been called mother or father, and those that are in the room know exactly what I'm talking about, that they've invested in that kind of relationship, and they've talked about that, and the kids are so drawn to it, and I mean, the kids are so beautiful, they're so amazing, the grit that they, uh, that they bring to school every day, I'm amazed that they show up, and that they won't even decide to learn, uh, coming from some of the homes that they come from, and that they'll invest, and I'm just blown away. And they they fuel me to to uh, be competitive and and make their school the best we possibly can. So they're never embarrassed of, of where they come from and who they are. The same way I'm not embarrassed of Texas City High School. That's right. You shouldn't uh, be. Shouldn't yeah. be Stinger stingeries, stingeries, and all baby, baby uh, orange and black. So way. I would say, don't abandon us. Know that we're under attack. Pray for us, and show up, man. Show up to your kids' events. Um, you know, we didn't get to weaknesses, uh, but. Be very careful how you talk. It is a very difficult job. I can't tell you how delicate it is this time of year for educators. They're walking a fine line before going, man, I'm just out. Like, I can't, you know, we need months to, to kind of recuperate and, and uh, get our focus back. So, you know, just assume the best in each other and when you're asking questions. We love your kids, believe it or not, and, um, and we want the best for them. And, and sometimes they don't do right, and sometimes we don't do right, and we need to be honest about that. But, but we never need to be permissive um, and indulgent parents. And um, I would say that's one of the things. So, so just as, as, as parents who have kids in school pray, show up, be present, I would still go back to those three things. Number one, be present. Number two, uh, be uh, intentional. And three, be spirit-led.
0: That's awesome. If you are an educator in here, whether it's a Christian school, home school, public school, university, uh, would you stand up? Brian, why don't you uh, pray for these guys, and, uh, and why don't you reach your hand out towards one of them. I know they're getting ready to finish their year, but let's just pray that God would finish strong with them the last few days. Some of them are already out. They're on vacation here. They're not with us today, uh, but, uh, and that uh, God would give them the rest to continue the calling uh, that he's put on their life when they start school next fall.
1: Lord, we look to you as an example for the greatest teacher of all. So as we step into our fields, and as we step into our places of work, Lord, we we turn to your example. We turn to to the way that you taught and the way that you left. And Lord, we just want to emulate who you are in our workplaces and in our schools. So Lord, I pray a special blessing upon these teachers. They teach your children and we know what scripture says about your children. We know how you valued them and they educate your children. So Lord, I pray that you would bless them I pray that you would give them patience. I pray that you would give them energy. I pray that you would give them those moments of clarity where they realize that this is truly a higher calling and you've called them to this and that they would just be refreshed. So, God, I pray that tomorrow or Tuesday when they step into their classroom or the next time they, they do, Lord, that they would know that you've called in them something greater uh, than, 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 um, than themselves, that you've established that. And Lord, we want to honor you with your children. We want to honor you in the homeschools. We want to honor you in the private schools. And we want to honor you in the public school. And we want to be that light that um, is just so beautiful. Lord, you are beautiful. You're so powerful. And God, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your great work. We we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your gospel story, Lord. And I pray that we would be good stewards of that, that we would never take it for granted, that we would never take it lightly. So, Lord, as we leave, I pray that we 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 would pray about our involvement and that we would, we would be the good workers, that Bayou City Fellowship would not be the church where the harvest is, is plenty and the workers are few. I pray that we would see the harvest and that the workers would be so many, God, that we're just out there making those relationships and that we're known for that generosity with our time and our effort. So God, we love you. I thank you for the platform. I thank you for this church. It's in Christ, and we
0: pray, amen. Amen. Put your hands together and thank Brian.